Hi, everyone. Um, thank you so much for having me on. My name is Rob Phelan. I'm a high school math and personal finance teacher in Maryland. And uh, I've been really into personal finance for about five years now and had the opportunity to teach it in my high school and really jumped in to learn more and to really start helping kids to learn more about finances. Hello, and welcome to Sense of Responsibility. I'm Alec Lindenauer, a certified financial planning professional, husband, and chief allowance officer to two daughters. I'm also the creator of the Sense of Responsibility tools and how-to instruction parents need to raise their children into financially literate, money-savvy adults, even if they don't know much about finance themselves. I'm Julie Franz, a chef entrepreneur at heart, wife, and mother of two middle school children. I also curate the Sense of Responsibility community so parents have a forum to ask questions, share success stories, and discuss their journeys. As a financial newbie myself, I'm also cultivating our group support system to help carve out my own family's path toward financial literacy. Welcome back, everybody, to the How to Teach Your Kids About Money podcast. Uh, As always, I'm Alec, and I'm here with Julie. And together we have a very special guest, Rob Phelan. Julie, I'm excited for you to meet Rob. Uh, He sits at this very interesting cross-section of finance, which I'm going to tell you a little bit about. And then, Rob, I'm just going to turn it over to you and ask you to, you know, fill in all the blanks and tell us about yourself, if that works. Yeah, that absolutely works. So, Julie, Rob, like I said, he sits in this very interesting cross-section. So, aside from being a, a high school personal finance teacher... He also is the co-author of a curriculum, a financial education curriculum, and he's the founder of Simple Startup, which is a program for 10 to 18-year-olds to start their own businesses. So he's super into entrepreneurship for kids, which, which I am too. And then on top of that, he also wrote a kid's book called M is for Money. So it's all of this stuff that's come together that I, I think is just a super interesting cross-section, like I was saying. So Rob, let me ask you. What ages are the kids that you teach and like, what's your opinion of the state of readiness, not just, you know, of your kids, but just of, of high school kids? Uh, My class is a math class that counts as a math credit, but it's a hybrid between personal finance and math. And I really just throw most of the math stuff out and I focus on finance and financial literacy. Uh, Maryland is one of these states that has a, a silver status when you talk about measuring financial literacy requirements in a state. A gold standard state is one where students have to take a single class of personal finance, so a full credit of it to graduate high school. A silver state, there's a half credit that is embedded somewhere else in another course to be able to graduate. So there's some financial literacy requirement. It's not great. And then bronze is usually that it's offered in the school but not required. And then if you don't have a medal, you don't offer financial literacy at all. The number of states who are changing to gold standard is going up, which is wonderful to see. We're seeing states like Florida pass bills recently that are turning their state requirements around. So they're saying, no, you are going to have to take a full semester of personal finance to be able to graduate, which is awesome. Uh, We have states like New Jersey that have mandates in middle school and high school, uh, which I think is a much better standard and much more what we should all be achieving for. Do you feel like high school is too late to be teaching this? You mentioned middle school. Um, And then, of course, our program focuses even on elementary because we feel like that's something that needs to start in the home pretty early on. So what do you you know, what do you think about the timing of these courses being offered? It's one of those ones where something is better than nothing. If we're going to pick a single time in a student's career to teach them about money, it probably is 
as close as possible to when they go out in the real world and start making big decisions with money. Uh, if there's more opportunity, just like you said, it should start at a much younger age. And that's what motivated me to write my children's book about money is that I had my own son was born and I'm like, okay, there's going to be a better way to do this in terms of raising a child who is comfortable talking about money, is confident, understanding how it works, uh, will want to make his own, will want to save, spend, invest, and give. So all of these things that we wish we were kind of doing as adults and we maybe strive to do now, why not start building those things in as kids when we are still forming habits and forming our mindsets and our own kind of personality around money? Because I'm sure you know, I'm not sure if your audience does, most of our money habits are set between the ages of seven to nine. So how you view money, how you use it, the habits you're going to build around it are pretty much set from a young age. And then you have to work to change those habits as you get older. So if you can start at a very young age, and I'm talking like two to three years old, like at two years old, my son and I are starting to talk about money. He's reading my kid's book. He's using money to go buy things that he actually wants. Um, How old is he now? He's three right now. And uh, my wife and I are just about to introduce an allowance because he's getting to that point now where he's asking us to buy things for him. And we don't want to keep doing that. We want to now start putting the money in his hands and let him start deciding what he wants to buy. So he can't have everything, but he can have something. And he has to now start making decisions about it. I think, boom, we're done. I'm just going to hit replay on the last 90 seconds. We're just going to run that on a loop for 90 minutes. (laughs) Yeah, it's really profound. I mean, and it's... Spot on, right? Yeah, it's amazing. But, you know, why do you think parents don't do this, Rob. I mean, where where's the gap? I, I know that without Alex's direction for me, I still would not be really talking to my kids about money. I think I would just be fighting with them all the time um, about what they want and what I won't buy and will buy and being that bad guy, you know, good, nice mom versus bad guy. I don't know. Where's the gap? Why don't us parents know that inherently to start talking to our kids about money at that early age? Oh, gosh, there's so many reasons. Um, So based on what I've read, what I've experienced, what I've heard from other parents, uh, the first one is usually that we parent in a very similar style to how we were parented growing up. So unless you are someone who's identified that, you know, the way my parents did it wasn't really great and I need to do something different, you're more than likely just going to repeat the same stuff again. Uh, So if you weren't brought up in a household where money was something you talked about, you may not do that um, in your own household particularly if money is on the same level as things like drugs, sex, alcohol, politics, religion, where this is not a dinner table conversation. We don't really talk about that. It's rude. It's taboo. It makes people uncomfortable. If you are brought up with that same cultural mindset, it's very hard to break that and be like, oh, well, actually, yeah, we're going to start talking about money right now, especially if you feel uncomfortable with the thought of your kids asking you questions about money. Next up, you've got adults who aren't particularly financially literate themselves. There aren't that many of us out there who can say, you know, hand on heart, we're doing amazing with our money and we are a shining light for kids to follow. So it's very hard to be that person who goes to your kids and say, look, I think this is what you should be doing with money or this is how it works. When in fact, you don't really know how to do it yourself just yet or you haven't been doing a great job with it. So it's a lot of different things. Um, It's difficult, particularly when we didn't get a good education ourselves growing up as to how money works. You sort of had to just figure it out cross your fingers that you didn't make too many bad mistakes in your 20s and that you've learned enough since then to parent and also that you know how to parent. I mean, it's not a 
it's not right. this natural thing that I thought was going to happen where my kid was born. I'm like, I will know what to do. <laughs> it's just somehow innately going to right. come that I will know what to do. Nope. Instead, you didn't like, get the instruction manual? No, there was, there was, they didn't give me one at the hospital apparently. But, <laughs> um, you know, I had to do a lot of learning. My wife and I decided we were going to look at parenting videos and courses and read books because just because we were raised one way and we say, well, we turned out okay. It doesn't mean that there isn't a better way to do it. But Rob, you flipped a switch somewhere, right? Because your upbringing was not in a money talking household. And then all of a sudden you said, okay, I'm going to do this. So what flipped the switch for you? I was fortunate to be in a household where money wasn't brought up in a bad way. So there are plenty of students who I come across on a daily basis who are all too aware of the finances of their household because it's such a cause of stress in the household. They might be working to help support their families. They might be hearing fights or conversations about money or very in tune to the fact that there isn't enough money going around. I was fortunate to not be in that scenario growing up. So I really just, I didn't know. There were some conversations I heard. My parents encouraged me to save money. Like I had a savings account when I was a kid, but it was sort of like you got birthday money and go put it in your savings account. Like that was pretty much where the conversation ended. I remember at one point in my childhood asking my dad about stocks. I heard about it somewhere. I could not tell you where, but I was maybe eight or nine years old. And I asked him about it. I was like, what is it? How does it work? Can I do this too? And he didn't know how to answer it. He didn't know at that time how to get a child involved in investing. And because that conversation dropped, I didn't start investing for probably another nearly 20 years, which is so sad when you think about compound interest and what could have right, been. Right, right. Um, so when I started learning about money, I started realizing this, this can start from a young age. Um, time is your most valuable asset when it comes to building wealth and also protecting yourself from making those bad mistakes that are very costly. And they're not super terrible things. It's just things like taking out too much student loans, buying a brand new car, um, buying too much house, partying too much, not saving when you should be, or potentially house hacking when you're you know, getting that first home and you're not really tied down with a family or a relationship yet. Like just things that we could do differently that aren't huge, but would make so much difference in the lives of kids and young adult, young adults growing up. So what is it going to look like when you start allowance with your three-year-old? Take us into your kitchen. Okay. So bearing in mind now, this is our first son. This is our first time through it. I've done a lot of research on it, talked to a lot of parents about it. And just like every great plan, it will look very different when you actually introduce it to your living child who has a whole mind of their own. With that, Rob, I'll just say to you and to everybody, I always say that the best strategy is one that you are using and that you can stick to. So it's definitely the best plan because it's because you're going to do it. Right? That, that's yep. really what it comes down to. Um, so the plan, at least for right now, is yes, allowance versus no. And that's the first question, parents, you're going to have to ask yourself. Do you want to use an allowance or not? And then the second question is, what is this allowance for? And is it earned or given? In our case, we are going to give the allowance. There is no chores. There's no work. There's nothing that is attached to getting this allowance. Other families, on the other hand, will say you have to complete chores to earn your allowance. And if you don't complete the chores, you don't get the allowance. That's one way of doing it. It's just my wife and I have talked about it based on what we've read, what we know, what we've heard, that an allowance at its core is an opportunity for kids to practice using money. So it's not a discipline tool. It's not a reward for doing household chores. It is just an opportunity to practice using money. When you tie it to chores, the big problem that parents will come across is, well, what happens when my kid is not motivated by money and decides I don't want to do the chores? 
We know what happens is you don't get to teach them about money at that particular time. You miss yeah. out on that lesson, right? It's, and it's like, well, the chores still need to be done, friend. So right. we're, we're kind of stuck <laughs> right. now. And yes, there's the mentality that you don't get paid for doing nothing as an adult, but also the same mentality that you don't really get paid for maintaining your own household either. So my wife and I, again, we agree that we don't want our son to feel like you have to be paid to maintain your own household, that that is something you do as part of your daily habits of taking care of your own space in your own home. So we will be introducing age-appropriate chores as we go to get him used to the idea that you just take care of your own home, and that's just part of being a human and part of being a responsible person. The allowance, on the other hand, is going to come regardless. Uh, whether he is being an angel or being the biggest pain in the rear end, <laughs> insert um, whatever word you want to your parents. I know it's not <laughs> rear end for most of you. Um, whatever sort of pain he's being, allowance is not one of the consequences that comes for negative behavior. Again, because we don't want that to be the situation where money is being tied to behavior. You don't get rewarded for good behavior. You don't get punished for bad behavior. So the allowance is going to be the opportunity to practice. We're going to give him $3 a week because he's three years old. And what he does with that in the beginning is totally up to him. There's no, you have to save half of it or $1 goes to spend, save, give. The beginning is just going to be, here's $3. What would you like to do with it? And here are some of your options. You can go out and buy whatever thing it is that you've been asking for recently. You can choose to wait and buy something more expensive later. So at the moment, my son really likes these die cast metal cars that you can find in like pharmacies and low wheels, and a little bit bigger than a hot wheel, but the same kind of idea. Like they're, they're a little kinetic and you pull them back and let them go sort of cars and they're $6. So if we give him $3 very quickly, he's going to realize, Oh, that is not enough to go buy a car. So we can say to him, like, if you want to buy one of those, you're going to have to wait two weeks. So he can choose. He can go blow his money on something else that's $3 or less, or he can keep it and try and save up for the thing he actually wants. And your job as the parent is to just kind of be that guide in terms of here are what your options are. No pressure, no direction, just here's what you can do. And you let them make decisions. That's the key point. This is the opportunity to make decisions with money. And whatever decision they make, you don't judge them for it but you do help them break it down afterwards. So right. after we give him this allowance and he goes and buys one of these metal cars, a couple of weeks later, probably I'll be like, you know, what, what do you think of that? Did you, were you happy that you spent that money? Do you think it was a good buy? Do you still play with it? Do you, does it make you happy? And then I just stop. There's still no like, oh, that was a good buy or you should have done this instead. You want them to come to these conclusions themselves. I mean, you've been buying him these things up until now and probably saying yes sometimes and no sometimes. And he's three, you know, so obviously this will be a great learning opportunity at the age of three, but it's also harder to reason with a three-year-old. So what do you think his reaction will be when all of a sudden he, it's always a no from you and he needs to make the decision on his own? Do you think that he'll be, you know, upset at the beginning about it or, you know, it's, it's tough to reason with a three-year-old. <laughs> Really? It's <laughs> really tough to reason with a 13-year-old too, Rob. So if anybody tells yes. you it gets easier, it doesn't. <laughs> it's just different. <laughs> okay, so this is probably something that um, we laid good groundwork for as he was younger. When you are exposing your child to how money works. So the, one of the first lessons that a child is going to learn is that to get what you want, you have to exchange money for it. 
So when you go to the grocery store, you point out that before you can leave with all these groceries, you do have to go see either a cashier or self-checkout and you are making an exchange for what you want. So there is either a card being swiped or cash being handed over, but there is a trade that is happening. And when we go to the grocery store, I bring my son with me every single week. We sit down together beforehand. We make a list together. So he sees my wife and I going through the process of making a list. I ask him, is there anything he wants to add to the list? So he can think about any particular treat that he might want. He can add it to the list. And then when we go, if it's not on the list, we're not getting it. And I swear to you, this has worked so far amazingly. Um, wow. we, we go into the store. He will point at something and be like, can I get that? Like, it could be a treat. It could be a toy. It could be whatever it is. And I'm like, nope, do you remember what's on the list? We're here to get this, 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 and this. And he's like, okay, and then puts it back. And I have to say that makes so much sense. I, I mean, <laughs> look, we, we, the children and I have kids, and you know you have to have a pre-conversation to avoid the spaz out later on. But I've never thought to have that particular pre-conversation. Rob, where, where were you 13 I know. years I'm ago? I'm thinking you should write a book on how to parent. Actually, you could write the handbook because I think you're doing a lot of things very well. <laughs> I would have bought that. Well, I think that was, I think that came from uh, Doug Norman and Carol Pittner's book, which is fantastic. Um, and it is a very long title. I'm totally going to get it wrong. I'm trying to see if it's on my bookshelf. It's too far away to read. Excellent book for just how to raise a financially savvy kid. And this was, I think, something that he laid out that if you create the expectation that we are not going to impulse shop and you lead by example too, like you can't go in with a list. Sure. Be like, no, we're not getting your impulse thing, but we're going to get right. my impulse right. thing. That doesn't work. Um, same thing, like if you're saying you're going to walk downtown to go get coffee or whatever it is, or you're just going to browse and you walk past an ice cream store and you're like, you know what? Ice cream sounds great right now. It shows that you can impulse buy versus if you, before you get there, you know you're going to walk by an ice cream store and you stop and be like, you know what? You've been working really hard or you've been listing really well it's really hot out. Do you think we should try and find an ice cream store? Like you just preempt the fact that you are going to look for this thing and then you're going to buy it, that there is thought beforehand and it's not an impulse purchase. And if you can do that, when the time comes to hand over the keys to the money to your kid, the same idea applies that he knows that if he wants to buy something, sure, you can use your own money. Let's plan for it. Let's go home and get your money, come back. And that usually is enough for us to be like, okay, he's willing to go home, pull the money out of his money box. So he has some cash that he's gotten for gifts already that we know that he's used to this idea. And he will take the money out of his money box. We'll go back to the store. We'll buy it. And he's perfectly happy when that happens. And if we tell him you don't have enough money in your money box, he's like, okay, I'll add it to my list. And he's got apparently a running list in his head of things that he wants to buy. I feel like if they had shortened that title to How to Go Grocery Shopping with a Toddler, it would be a New York Times bestseller. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, oh. maybe we'll do a short ebook about that. <laughs> yeah. No, that's all amazing. And are you going to do this weekly? So you'll sit down every week for, with him? Yeah. I yeah. Guess with a three-year-old, I guess um, that's that makes the plan. Sense. So we're going to go into, I'm going to go into the bank sometime soon, ask for $151 bills, and um, that will be a year's worth of $3 allowance. And every week, consistently every week, and I know you are very big on consistency as well, you yep. have that moment, that conversation where you hand over the money and you just take two minutes to break down what the options are. Then when they do want to spend it, just be there to talk with them through it, discuss the idea, ask them probing questions. But again, nothing that is judgmental or steering them 
towards yep. or away from, unless it's breaking a household rule. Like if my son decides that he wants exactly. to buy a, a gun shaped anything, it's a hard no from us. And we've made that clear from the beginning that there's no um, guns. There's nothing that's not age appropriate. I'm trying to think of what else that he might want to buy right now that we're probably not getting. Chewing gum would be another one because he's just not old enough to have it or popcorn. Right. So like, Anything that's just yeah, choke not safe. No choke <laughs> yeah. And so, Rob, are you? You mentioned a money box. Does he already have the money box? Is that something that you've introduced, or what is that going to look like? And are you going to have, you know, a, a save box available at the beginning, or no? You're just waiting completely on on that container. Uh, we have a very nice money box. Um, it's one that was given to me by the crowd at Benjamin Talks. It's called a Benji box. And it's, sure, we know it well. it's three containers all side by side stuck together with a, a lid on top and a coin slot on top, but it's totally clear. Um, it's labeled spend, save, give, which I like. Um, my son has no clue what the words are yet, but he likes to sort his coins into the three boxes. So he's got like the silver stuff in one, the bronze stuff in another, and the really big coins in another one. So he has a couple of like 50 cent pieces and like a Sacagawea coin, stuff like that. So like the odd, st- odd stuff goes in one as well. Uh, so he has that already. I'm actually trying to get him to spend all of this extra coinage stuff so we can get rid of it. And then when we start the allowance that he's starting at zero, so that it's like, okay, you have $3, let's go from there. But if you are looking for a container, it can be as simple as a glass jar, if you're comfortable with glass, plastic, if you're not. Um, but something that is clear where the kid can see what is inside of it, as opposed to like a ceramic piggy bank where you have to like pull out the plug and see what's inside there. It's great for kids to see their money, it's reassuring to know that it's always still there. They can kind of keep an eye on how it's growing. So there's that visual kind of reinforcement that if they're saving money, they can see it growing and accumulating. So you're not going to begin with anything in the investment realm because I know you're big on that as well. Is that because he's three or are you going to have a side container for that? Is it just too soon? I hope to introduce it soon. I don't know how long it's going to take, but what our plan is, is to start with just spend. So you get your money, you can spend it whatever you want. Uh, eventually, and I'm thinking it'll probably happen pretty fast, he will start asking us for things that cost more than $3. So we start introducing save that you can spend some of it now. Like if there's something you want that's a dollar, by all means, go get it. Let's put two aside towards that car that you really want to buy. So now the spend and save ones are being used. Give will come next. And I think that, again, will come pretty quickly. He's already shown a sign of wanting to buy gifts for people. He loves feeding the turtles at our local like nature park. So, like, there are different ways that he could give to either animals, to people, to, I don't know if he's going to give to a cause just yet, but I'm sure that something will come up soon that he's like, I want to help this person. And Got it. You know, okay. we'll start pulling that from the give pile. And then invest, I, I think, will probably come eventually when we, again, he starts talking about, like, how do I, how do I get more I want money? More. Yeah. Right. So eventually he right. will ask for something that is so expensive that it would take him, like, 10 plus weeks to save for it. And... We, he's going to probably say like, well, how do, how do I get more? How do I get this faster? Or I can offer that to him. And that's where the kid entrepreneurship comes in, but also you can invest. And maybe we create a kind of bank of mom and dad scenario where we offer the first investment that he has. So if you put your money in here and you don't touch it for two weeks, we will double whatever's in there, probably something a little less generous than that. But something where you're offering an incentive for them to put money aside more than just kind of saving to buy something. So one of the interesting things that I found that you said was that you won't mandate that he put any dollar amount specific in any 
any particular bucket or slot, you know, when, when you get to that, Mm -hmm. what we started with our girls from the very beginning was I said, you must put one penny. That was it. It was only the one penny, which I found super interesting that there was always conversation around that. The questions that I would ask and make sure there were always a set of them. One of them was, why did you put that in that slot? Why in this slot? Why in that slot? Why in that slot? Just why did you make the decisions you did? There were no wrong answers. I just wanted to hear whatever they were thinking. I just wanted to hear it out loud. And you never know what you're going to learn about them. My, my older, she started from the very beginning, a fourth in each one. All four buckets of fourth for no reason other than that was her natural inclination. So it was just always fascinating to me where they would go with that. And I like that you asked the question because even if all it does is get them to think, huh, why did I do that? Like right. If we if we all thought a little bit more reflectively about how we used our money, I think it would be a, a huge shift in terms of our mindset around money. Mandating a penny, it's it's hardly anything. Like I think that could be enough to build a savings habit. I think that's certainly a way to do it. I'm hoping that my son will arrive at that that muscle, that habit naturally, because as you know, if you try and tell a child to do anything, you're going to be met with a lot of resistance. So that's the idea is that we're not trying to mandate it because we don't want him to someday come back and be like, well, I don't want to do what you're saying. I want to do what I want to do. And if it's not his decision, what happens when he gets more control and there's more money involved or eventually he does leave and now he's not under our roof and it's like, well, mom and dad don't know. So I ain't saving a cent anymore. Like it's all going my way. So yeah, I want him to I wanted to want to save is the goal. Yeah, I yeah. I really think it's so amazing that you're starting him so early. I always tell Alec how, you know, I'm glad I started my kids when I did, which was when they were 11 and 13, no, 10 and 12 or something. And we had tried to start years before but unsuccessfully and just how, you know, when they're getting into teenage years and they really have a mind of their own and you've given them a bit of a leash, you know, they, they really, it's hard to kind of rein them back in and start teaching them new things. They're kind of baked by then, you know, they're, it's hard to, to stir it all up again and start teaching them new things. So I run up against some resistance sometimes and they're too busy, you know, they don't want to sit down and have the conversation and they don't have time to count their money. And at three, four, five, six years old, it's still really exciting to count dollar bills and, you know, to talk about it. And so we're always saying, you know, start yesterday if you can to all parents of any age. But I also think, you know, just speaking for other parents listening, you know, if you haven't started so early and you're listening to Alec and Rob and thinking, wow, well, I'm too late or I've really missed the boat on this and I wish I had done it, but I, it's too late now. And I, you know, I just want to say it's great to start early if you can, but no matter where you're at, even if your kids are in high school or college, like it's not too late to start and how important it is to just start somewhere. I envy you though. I wish that I knew all of this when I was uh, that age and parent. let's just emphasize again, everyone, that this is the plan. <laughs> right, right. And when, if I come back in like five years and tell you what actually happened, it could look very different um, depending on how he reacts to it, what his own thoughts are, how my wife and I feel about it. So Based on what we know so far, this seems like what's going to work for us. Um, and the money conversations I've had with him so far let me feel like that he's ready to start handling $3 a week. And that's the other thing. Like, you don't have to start at 3 There was some groundwork that we laid in terms of that we are right. intentional with our money, that we make a plan, that if there's something we want to buy, we potentially save for it. My wife and I are talking about now doing a, a down payment for a new house someday. Probably not while interest rates are this high, but someday. We're saying, well, maybe let's let's put a chart up on the fridge, like a, a savings chart, and we're, that might oh, like a thermometer. Us. Yeah, 
Exactly. We did it when we did our debt pay down and it worked really well for that visual representation of how we were doing yeah. towards reaching our goal. And so far, we haven't done a great job of putting money aside for the next down payment. So we're like, well, let's try that. And that could be a great visual for him. And we might give him a savings chart for something that he's really into as well. So it could be the little toy car. And that, that idea of I'm going to save towards a goal and I'm going to reward myself once I reach that goal. Because that's what saving should be about. It shouldn't be like save it and never have a defined time that you're going to use it. Um, right. Most kids are saving to buy something. Eventually, you get to an emergency fund where you're saving for the potential to buy something when an emergency happens. But anything that's for like way further down the line that doesn't really have any goal, it's very hard for a kid to do. Like it's hard for them to put money aside for college. Like that's multiple lifetimes away. Retirement, it's, what's that? And yeah, no, no. <laughs> So yeah, it, it, it's, de- it's definitely one of those things that we will introduce eventually, but for the age that he is at, I don't think he would conceptually be able to like handle saving for a down payment on a car or college or something right, right, like right. that. Rob, you mentioned entrepreneurship a couple of times and the simple startup. I mean, that's all about entrepreneurship. Uh, just to take a step back. So the course that we have live now is basically allowance and then using that as a foundation to teach about spending income and credit. The second course that is in production, which we I was doing live in Miami, is basically entrepreneurship through the lens of a lemonade stand and using that as the foundation to teach about investments. So huge on entrepreneurship, even if it's this one lemonade stand, but super in-depth experience so people can kids can extract all that they possibly can from that experience. So just heaps of love on the entrepreneurship. Um, Julie is massively entrepreneurial as are her kids. They've each had different businesses and, and they just, you know, from different brands that they've launched and making bracelets and selling them. And so we love it, but you love it. Maybe the same reasons, different reasons. Like why are you so passionate about that? And what exactly do you do with the simple startup to help kids and, and why? Okay. So a couple of things in here, why I love entrepreneurship When I started learning about personal finance, I started with Dave Ramsey, and that was very much getting in control of the money you currently have. Cutting down expenses, getting rid of debts, having a budget, all of those things that are great for the average person. Like many people in the financial independence community, though, I felt like I graduated from Dave Ramsey at some point where I was like, I've got control of what I have. How do I build wealth? And the financial independence community was where I really found that home. And financial independence is that point at which you no longer have to work for money to survive. So like you have enough money either through passive income or through your investments that you can cover all of your expenses on a day-to-day basis without needing to go trade your time for money. So you don't have to work anymore. Work is optional. And I love that idea. Like it lit me up so much, especially as like a teacher in my early career of teaching. I was like, this is really hard. I don't know how I'm going to do 30 years of this before I can get a pension and social security. So I wanted to take a little bit more control back and increasing your income is one way of doing that. Like the the personal finance equation is very simple. Your income has to be higher than your expenses. And then whatever gap you create between the two, you try and invest that to grow it as much as possible and then enjoy yourself along the way. So you can cut your expenses, but the lowest you can go is zero. And that's not very feasible for most people. Your income, on the other hand, can go as high as you can imagine. Like there's really no limit to how high your income can go. And that one was a very exciting one for me. Like I wanted to explore how do I increase my income, particularly as an educator. Like there's no moving up the corporate ladder. The only way to really increase your income is to either move to a higher paying district or 
to put in the time and you know you just level up each year with your um, salary so there wasn't really a reward for working harder working smarter or upskilling or things like that so i had to look to side hustles and other streams of income to increase our income and that was just very fun like how how do i do this how do i bring in more and start covering some of our daily expenses and then why i teach it in the birth of the simple startup was i had a similar experience when i was in high school a a teacher of mine uh, this was in Ireland, bear, bear in mind. He ran a business class, and during that class, we had to start our own small business. It was a project that I really grabbed onto. I loved the idea, again, of creating income that I didn't have to get in my part-time job. Me and two friends of mine, we started a baking company, and we made about 500 euros over the course of the, pro- of the project. And um, that, was, that was just, like I think, such a, a life-changing or an impactful experience. Eye-opening. Like, yeah, I look back on high school and like that's that's one of the few things I remember doing. I'm like that was something that is just a true highlight of high school. And I kind of forgot about it for a while and then when I started finding financial independence, I was like, "Oh yeah, you know, increasing income, entrepreneurship, that's a great idea." I started teaching personal finance and I felt entrepreneurship belonged in that conversation. Like it's part of personal finance, it's part of financial independence, of financial literacy. Here's how you increase your income, here's how you get a job, here's how you also add more income in or how you do entrepreneurial things within a business. So I, I wanted to teach that to my kids. So I started creating resources around that, um, which eventually st- started to look like a workbook, which I turned into a formal workbook called The Simple Startup. And from I've there- I've got mine right yeah, here. From there, uh, <laughs> it, it published right before um, the pandemic kicked in. So it came out February of 2020, March 2020 happened and everything shut down. So that summer, I was like, you know what? There's no summer camps going on. All the summer camps have been canceled. Maybe maybe a kid would be interested in taking a virtual summer camp. Let's try this out. And so I just threw up an Eventbrite page, said, hey, I'm going to offer a virtual start your own business camp for 10 to 18-year-olds. Would anyone be interested in doing it? And if I get 20 signups, I'll actually make the course. And I got my 20 signups, actually sold it out. And that was the birth of the Simple Startup virtual courses. So helping young entrepreneurs start their first business. So coming up with ideas and turning it into reality as fast as possible. Amazing. So what are some of the great ones that you've seen? Uh, It's nothing that's going to be like earth shattering. There's no like uh, next Amazons or Facebooks coming out yet. But I've seen kids take like a jewelry making business. So handcrafting jewelry. And she just posted an Instagram the other day that she hit 2000 sales on Etsy which like is huge for, That's uh, huge. she was 14 at the time. She's 16 now. Wow. Um, Amazing. Yeah. I've had a kid who's really into photography and just took this as an opportunity to develop that skill. He did an NFT launch last year and sold $2,000 worth of NFTs of his photographs. Wow. Which I thought was just super cool. But what about the personal growth side? I mean, the dollars are great. I, I mean, you know, we ran a fantastic lemonade stand, but they only made $75. But mm-hmm. I feel like I changed their lives completely and utterly. Yeah, the the stories I hear back from parents, like when I'm lucky enough to get a story back, it's usually like, my kids confidence has gone up. They've, they're approaching people in a different way. They know how to talk to them. They are trying new things out. Like it's sometimes, yeah, it's a very big like personality shift for kids to realize that they can take control of something like this or that a talent of theirs is something that other people are willing to pay for. I think that's such a, a confidence booster for so many kids. Uh, the communication side of things, like you have to talk to people if you're going to try and sell something. So this is usually that uncomfortable moment where I'm going to ask you to go like talk to someone and ask them if they're interested in buying what you're selling and prepping them for getting no's, but also getting yeses. And when they do start getting those yeses, you can just see that they, they light up, um, 
they see that, okay, I can do this. Yeah, I can say from experience with my daughter, she had a thriving jewelry business for maybe close to a year. She's kind of fizzled off a little bit, not as much interest anymore, but she would go and take her cart at 11, 10, 11 years old and take her wheelie cart with the table and the tablecloth and all of her beads and her money and all of it. And sometimes she sold couple hundred dollars worth of beads. I mean, money would be flying and she'd be stuffing it. And, you know, it was really exciting. <laughs> um, and that was awesome. I mean, it was really fun to to see that. And then she would pay out 10% to her helpers, you know, so she understood that there was a cost of doing business and paying people to help her and things like that. But I also remember the days of wheeling back that cart, walking over our bridge from the sales spot when she had no sales or maybe $10 of sales and she was feeling really deflated. And I would tell her, I'm actually more proud of you today than I am when you are crushing your sales because this is part of life. This is part of business. This is part of learning you know, more about what to do different next time. Maybe we didn't market it enough. We didn't share the information. We didn't pick the day properly. I mean, there were a lot of things we could have done differently. And sometimes it is just what it is. There's nothing you could have done differently. But I said, these are the moments that really define who you are as a person and, and strengthen your character character to be able to do bigger things in the future. And I just wanted to say, you know, that as part of that character building is like the good with the bad, right? It's the the high dollar amounts are awesome, but so are the days of the low dollar amounts if you can frame it as such. See, Julie, you're a damn good parent too. Don't sell yourself short. <laughs> yeah. My, uh, my ongoing story with my kids is like mistakes happen. We have to learn from them. There's just so many mistakes that happen every day, <laughs> but yeah, I guess, yeah. It is. And it's, it's, it's like school is not that, that comfortable sandbox. It's like, you can make mistakes in school, but we're so focused on good grades and for better or worse, like our, our cultural system rewards high grades versus like starting a business, especially if they haven't put much of their own money into it, and it's a low risk business, like failure is acceptable as long as we can look at it, try and figure out maybe what's, what we could do differently. What are, what are we in control of? What are we not in control of? What can we change for next time to try out, try something, see if it works. If it doesn't work, let's try something else again. I think that's probably, yeah, the most valuable part about starting a business as a kid is that there's no pressure to succeed. Like you don't need the money to pay your rent next week right. or anything like that. Like it's just this is something that you're doing to learn, to try and make some money from. And it can be that sandbox where you learn about all of these different things that are such valuable life skills. Yeah, we love that idea of, you know, starting allowance young so that you can give your kids the opportunity to make a few mistakes because it's a lot easier to recover from a $10 mistake than thousands or more dollars. Yeah, we really promote that. Yeah, give your kids that money and let them feel a little bit of pain. Let them waste a little bit so that they understand what that is at this at this point. It's really one of the things where you want them to waste their money because then you can come back and be like, you know, what did you think of that expense? Uh, how did it make you feel? Would you do it again? And exactly. the, the, the golden moment is when they come back and like, you know what? I probably should have thought this through more. Um, I shouldn't have spent my money on that. I should have kept it for this instead. And you're like, hallelujah, yes, you get it. And I didn't have to tell you that it was the wrong decision. You figured it out for yourself. And now that's ingrained in you, you're going to make better decisions going forward. I think that's so hard for some parents is to let go of that. You know, they want to control that spending. They don't want to see them make the mistake. No, you can't spend that. No, But the best thing you can do is let them waste their money on the particular item so they don't do it again later. Go waste $3 and not Mm $30,000. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yep. 
So Rob, M is for money. That's the children's book that you wrote. So who is it targeted at? Uh, you know, what age group is uh, one question. But I have to admit, I never read money books to my kids because I would just always gravitate to the ones that they wanted to read. Little P, Little Hoot, and, you know, all of these. And I found that, like, the that the famous Berenstein Bear book about money was just like, they just, they didn't like it. No matter how many times I, I picked it up. And Julie, I don't know, did you read money books to your kids? Alec, I did not read money books to myself. I did not read money books to my kids. <laughs> I wish I had. No, I probably had the Berenstein Bears. But no, I was not money focused uh, when they were small. I was survival focused. We just read whatever we could <laughs> keep their attention with. That was it. Yeah. So, Rob, so tell us about the book and how it's doing and what it's about and all of that. Well, I don't think I had money books read to me as a child either. And the, like the I, even when you say it like, oh, I read a money book to my kid, like it just sounds like I'm reading a textbook to them. I'm like, no, it's not that. I promise. Yeah. Um, a good money book for kids is one that has a great story. And really, it's just the characters are demonstrating um, money being used in a positive way. That's really what you're looking for. It's like it's almost like a background theme in a lot of cases. When my son was born, he started getting into books and that's when I started thinking about, okay, you know what? Maybe there are some good children's books out here that have money themes to them that you know show money being used in a good way. It would be a great one to add to our library cuz he loved reading books and was still at that age where we could kind of put anything in front of him and he would sit through it and be like excited about it. So started looking, didn't really see much. Like I, I saw the Bernstein Bears one there. I had actually read that one in the past and I was like, it's, it's okay. It doesn't really, doesn't really do it for me in terms of like what's age appropriate for him at the time anyway. Because uh, at the time, remember, all we're looking for is the idea that money's traded for things that we want, um, that we have intention when we use money, that if you want more, you can go earn it potentially. Like those are the sorts of themes that I want to see in books and I couldn't find any. So I don't consider myself a very creative writer. In high school, I definitely was not the creative writer in English class. I would always choose the like concrete assignments like the newsletter or um, the article or the poster or whatever it was. So I never thought in my life that I would ever write a book. I was like, nope, I'm done with English class. Thank goodness. Never will write again. And I had this idea for a children's book. I was like, I want to do like an ABCs of money book. It's still very concrete compared to the creative stuff, but that it would have ABCs, so very appropriate for young kids. And a word that goes with it that's not incredibly complicated, like we're not looking to make things hard. The goal is to just introduce money vocabulary that should be in everyday conversations that kids are having and that we're starting to just make that more intentional and make it accessible for kids and something that it's okay to talk about. So Emma's for Money is a picture book. It's written for three to eight-year-olds, and its goal is to introduce money words to kids and make talking about money an okay thing to happen between adults kids or kids and their peers if it's in a classroom setting so every page has a letter a focus word that goes with it a definition of that word a very short story that depicts the word being used in a positive way and then there's a character a squirrel character called stash who pops up in every page and asks a question of the reader and the purpose of that would be that the reader and the adult reader would then talk about it or at least think about it as they're going. So it's a multi-level book, which is how it goes for three to eight year old, three to eight years old. Your three-year-olds are probably just starting with letter recognition and maybe just hearing the word will add into their vocabulary. As they get older, they'll start being able to identify words. So most of the words are three, four, five letter words that come from the pre-K through first grade 
um, standards for ELA education. And then the short story is that part that they, you know, every kid likes a short story. So there's a really colorful picture and there's a short story that goes with it. And then finally, the question, you could ask that question to a two-year-old. You could ask that question to a 22-year-old and you will get different answers each time. They're just, it's just a thought-provoking question about what would you do if you got an allowance? What can you buy for a dollar? How can you help people? What are you good at? What's something that you can get better at with practice? Just questions that the answers will change, but it's a thought-provoking question for the kid. It's interesting. I never really thought about it that way in terms of I've always been comfortable with my family talking about money with my parents and with my kids. And I know a great many people are not. And I say, look, you have to get comfortable. You have to get comfortable. I never really thought of the book as being the way to get comfortable, the mechanism to use to just begin that conversation at a very young age so that it normalizes things. I just never thought of it that way. It's that tool. It's that thing you can put in a parent's hand and they feel like it will be a safe space to talk about money. Like the kid is not going to come out and ask them, well, how much credit card debt do you have? Or how much money did you spend on your house? Or how much money do you make? Like the things that maybe might make them uncomfortable right now. Hopefully they won't be uncomfortable that later, but just simple questions that allow the kid to ask questions about money and just, it makes it normal for them. It's like, oh yeah, our family talks about money. Rob, what hangups do you see with parents, whether it's the parents of the, you know, the M is for money audience, so their kids are really young, or parents that you're dealing with uh, for, you know, in school, on back to school night, what are their hangups about your lessons and teaching their kids about money at this point that you see? I would say the biggest pushback I get is that idea of having conversations. So I'll I'll talk more about my seniors that I teach. So these are 17, 18-year-olds. I'll send emails home to parents, video messages, that sort of thing, encouraging them, saying, like, this is what we're talking about in class right now. And if you don't know about it, ask your kids about it. Like, let them share with you what they've learned. And it's just a very easy conversation to be like, oh, tell me about what you were doing today. Tell me more about that. What does that mean? Okay. Um, For the kids, same thing. It's like if you are really curious to know more about your parents' finances and they're not in a very, you know, sharing kind of mood, one way to do it is to be like, in class today, we were talking about retirement and, you know, saving for the future. And I'm just really curious, what do you guys do for retirement? How do you do it? And if you can phrase it that way, like I'm interested in learning how do you do it as opposed to what did you do or what mistakes did you make or how bad is it or how good is it? Are we wealthy? Are we not wealthy? I think every parent fears being asked, are we rich? Are we not rich? Um, why can some kid afford it? But I can't like it's it's kind of creating ways that kids won't ask that particular question, but will allow conversation to happen. Interesting. So I know we're running short on time. I like to wrap up with this question, which is what words of wisdom would you give a parent who just hasn't taken the plunge yet, whether it's into the world of allowance or money conversations? I would start a conversation of let's learn about money together. And it it doesn't need you to be the expert in the room. Um, you can be, it's great if you are, but if you're not, let's just learn about it together. Let's go find some books in the library and let's go learn about this thing because you seem to have lots of questions about it. You want to buy things. You want to have things that your friends have. And right now it's not in our spending plan to do that, but it can be in yours. Let's go find out how to make that happen. And if you, if you admit to your child that you're going on a learning journey with them, they're not going to expect you to have all the answers. They're going to be very excited to learn with you, hopefully. And you can go explore whatever medium you want, whether it's 
audiobooks, books, podcasts, blogs, YouTube channels. Like there's so many different ways to learn about this stuff and pick something that you and your kids are excited about. I love that. I think that's what's holding so many parents back is that they're not the expert. They don't feel like they have the answers. They don't have the roadmap themselves, so they can't teach it. And I love that approach. I think that that would really uh, break down a lot of those barriers for parents. Yeah, how about a course like what you guys are doing, like where, you know, let's all take the course together. Let's sit down together and have it. And we're all just going to learn as a family. Yeah. I mean, one of our basic tenets is that the best teacher for personal finance for a child is not their high school teacher. And it is not me. It is them, the parent you are. So let us give you the tools that you need to help make you be the best teacher that you can possibly be. And you're never going to be Warren Buffett as a teacher. You don't need to be. You just need to be able to provide that platform for practice like you were talking about earlier. Exactly. Rob, thank you so very much. We really appreciate your time and sharing that really, I mean, unique perspective. I don't know anybody that touches on all of the different areas that you do. I mean, you are in the trenches. (laughs) Yeah, you're seeing it from all sides with on, your on son, different your levels. Students. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'll just remind everybody that we have a host of resources. If you go to senseofresponsibility.com/resources, it's all there. There's courses, there's challenges, there's the blog, the podcast, all of that good stuff. And make sure you hit subscribe on whatever you're listening on, whatever device that may be. And always close with teach sensibly, everybody. <laughs>